Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and inventing rules for all the board games on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. I would drape myself in flannel if it were socially acceptable. Today on the show, we're talking with Laurel Ruma, Director of Professional Services at O'Reilly Media. Hi, Laurel. Hi there. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to talk to both of you. Well, uh, I hear that you just recently got this new title, Director of Professional Services, so we're definitely going to be asking you about your path there. But let's go back a little further. Tell us how you got to where you are now, where you started, what your path to leadership and management was like. Well, it's a long story. So first of all, I grew up on a farm in Maine. So uh, we had a 10, 10 acres of pick your own strawberries. And 10 Ooh. acres isn't very much for a farm, but it's a lot to have strawberries. That's a lot of strawberries. That's a lot of strawberries. And so what my sister and I learned at a very early age was how to talk to strangers because you basically have your customers coming to you to pick strawberries and just kind of get along with everybody. So, um, you know, the common joke when customers would approach is like, we're going to weigh you now and then after because you'll eat your weight in strawberries if you can. (laughs) (laughs) So needless to say, all these years later, I can pick 40 pounds of strawberries in like 90 minutes, not to brag, but I then do that every year and make jam. So I'm I'm kind of known around jam queen. But, you know, having this kind of uh, unique background as a farm kid, it's one of those work really hard any day of the night to kind of just get the job done that you need to have done. And the idea of also then being so tied to the land and also making your, your, making your money while the sun shines has kind of been the philosophy that has been leading me through my life. And it's one of those things you kind of can reflect on as you get older. So it, it's something that I kind of take with me as I go. And I've been able to find other farm kids And we kind of all have the same philosophy and way of working, I think, that separates other people from, you know, everyone comes from a very different background. And that's not to say that you're not a farm kid if you grew up in New York City. Uh, It's that ethos of just working really hard at a very young age, really in the beginning to put food on the table. And it sounds like taking advantage of opportunities that present themselves seems like a thing that we're talking about there. Yeah. And what about, is there a little bit of you know, sort of Zen in the like, I'm going to have to accept however this happens because some of it's out of my control that maybe is more clear growing up on a farm where weather affects everything than it is in other places or no? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you got to just let some stuff ride. And I think I'm pretty chill about most things because of that. You know, it's, it's easy to identify the stuff that is out of your control, like you said. So whether it's the weather or um, fungus that comes to your crop or customers don't come to buy your your crop that year or whatever it may be. But yeah, you have to accept there's some stuff out of your control. And so as much as I am, and my sister claims I am a type A person, I like to control what I can control. Type A, yes. Yay. I also have a very firm grasp of the things I can't control. Like, don't get upset about that at all. So where did you move on from, you know, from, from delighting customers at the Pick Yourself Strawberry Farm? <laughs> it's just what it was called near us. <laughs> I want to know also if you ever got to use that phrase again. Uh, we'll weigh you when you come in, and we'll weigh you and we'll charge you accordingly. Like your freshman yeah. fifteen or whatever. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, you know, programming books—it's not quite the same way. So I guess fast forward quite a bit. So you know, going through college and uh, you know, going to a nice elite Northeast school, I was able to you know, as a 
scholarship kid, meet a lot of really cool people and interesting people from all these different backgrounds. And when you grow up in a rural place like Maine, you know, not having exposure to a lot of diversified people is a drawback. But my mom was like super cool and would bring us down to New York City every year to try to just see what life was like outside of Maine. And I think that's one of the most important things is like forcing yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, and I can't express to you unless you grew up in a background where like rural Maine is the same. And if you're of a different religion, like Catholic or Protestant, like that's the biggest difference between those folks. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, New York is a shock then. <laughs> yeah, New York is, but it was so good, you know. And I mean, you either grasp grasp it right away, or you kind of shy away from it. And I, well, whatever. I'm just totally drawn to it. I love it. So, you know, moving to Boston, I worked in three different IT analyst firms, including Forrester after college, to kind of just get an idea of what the IT industry was like. Did a lot of editing, Rachel, like your background, for these kind of reports for CXOs and stuff like that. And met my partner. And he is a software engineer. So he had a whole suite of O'Reilly books on his bookshelf. And I realized when I was flipping through one day, because I'm like, oh, cool, look, there's an animal on the cover, that they were based in Cambridge. And so they're just right down the street. So I applied for a job at O'Reilly and got rejected and tried <laughs> a year later. Well, wait, yeah. I, I have to back up just, just a second. The creepy animals on the front of O'Reilly books got you into O'Reilly. <laughs> they're creepy? I think a lot of them are creepy. Some of them are oh. super cute, but like the old said manual? Oh, man. Yeah. Set it off. Yeah. Or the they're pearl so manual with the camel. Yeah, yeah. The lorises. Yeah, so, uh, well, no. I mean, who doesn't love animals? But also the art, right? Because they're woodblock prints. So they're... Um, it is cool art. <laughs> it's done by this... <laughs> production company called Dover. And that was back in the day when this is how you would document animals scientifically. So the animals are cool. But then of course, here you have this publishing house that has offices, you know, the next town over, which was really great. Yeah. So I put a year later, yeah, <laughs> came back. So before you know it, and I did never, you know, I'm definitely not one of those people that ever expect A, to be in a relationship for 18 years, nor live in the same city for 20 years, nor work at the same company for 14 years. So I, I always thought I was going to be one of these people like, I'll live in Spain for two years and I'll live in Germany for two years, whatever. I'll you know, live my life by the seat of my pants. But you live life by like what life kind of brings you and gives you. So here I am at O'Reilly 14 years later as the director of professional services. But during that time, you know, I've held so many different positions that have really helped me not just become a, a leader within the company, but also within the Boston tech community extent. And then of course the larger community with our authors and people across the board from our conferences on. Okay. So what, what do you think has been the hardest and, or I like this part, most embarrassing lesson you've had to learn to get there to, to be the leader you are today? Oof. Um, there have been many. Mm. I, um, <laughs> you can give us the top like seven most. That's of right. We got time. We got time. I'm, I'm watching you. Yeah. You're, you're pressing your hands to your temple. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think one of the good lessons to learn is oh, not getting involved in Twitter wars. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Like Twitter used to be something else, like, you know, four or five, six, seven, eight years ago. It was like this different kind of animal. It was still, you know, a place where people just went and vented and did whatever they wanted to do, but it wasn't quite as like, I don't know, reactionary. So anyway, I just remember one time I was involved in this small community within the Microsoft world 
called alt.net and they had their own conference and stuff and they're really, really cool kind of group of people who are like microsoft isn't what we need it to be we need to be more open source and doing a lot of different things and they there's i can't even remember what the dispute was but then i weighed in on it in twitter and i was like oh my god why did i do that because you know at o'reilly we're very we're, we're not we're taking sides in anything and and getting involved in other communities kind of disputes is definitely something you want to stay out of because you're also not part of the community you you're much like the rands community or you know the leadership community mm -hmm. here that the slack is part of it's like i am associated with it and involved in it in many ways but i'm also not an engineer right so i'm not as directly associated with some of these like twitter wars that you can take sides in and i think having that neutrality is super important and so i think those are some of the lessons that i've certainly learned like how can i help how can i help be switzerland how can i help in some causes, right? Like where, yeah. where, where are my powers most useful? As a publisher of technical books, you're you're wanting to offer that service to anyone who is, you know, wanting to publish technical information. So yeah, I can see wanting to be super super neutral in these ways. Well, um, yeah, and I'm I'm curious how much that's. I mean, if you didn't work at O'Reilly, where it was part of your job to be Switzerland, is this naturally kind of your you know, you just prefer to be neutral and just kind of make friends across the spectrum? Or would you be a much more controversial figure if there wasn't the work aspect tied to it? Yeah, it's a super great question. My friends do call me the voice of reason. <laughs> and so I, I am fairly much Switzerland across my other lives. But at the same time, I think there's some things you just can't sit on the sidelines for. A lot of this women in tech stuff, I, you know, having been in the tech world for so long, I have seen everything and from not even from the very beginning, right? Because it was going on so much before we were here before. Like Kathy Sierra was run off the internet because of trolls. Like if anyone remembers that. Like yeah, yeah. that was so long ago and she's one of our premier authors and everything kind of rolled out of that. And it's been so interesting to see the progress regression sometimes, you know, that yeah, lots of backsliding. <laughs> yeah, has made. Like no one seems to remember the RubyConf where, you know, someone thought it was appropriate to put bare-breasted women in the presentation slides. And that was like oh God, 10 years ago. It was like forever ago. And, you know, and it's like we're still seeing that kind of stuff nowadays. It's just astounding to me. So I think definitely the women in tech stuff I try to be a little bit vocal about, but probably not as vocal as I would be if I was working somewhere else. And I think everyone has that responsibility, not just to their company, but also their community. Like, how helpful is it, you know? Mm -hmm. I think my yeah, opinions yeah. Are, are known, and if you want to know more, I'll tell you, but, you know, is it important to know my opinion on every single thing or yours? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that can be difficult if you're, if you're managing a team and you want them to uh, have a good idea of what's appropriate in a public discourse and what's not. Have you, have you had a team? Are you leading a team currently? What's, what's your background there? Yeah, not yet. I am hiring and will Ooh. be. <laughs> yeah, so talk to me next year. But no, I did lead um, two employees. And then when we were doing lots of interviewing folks, it's kind of like when you are a production editor working on books, kind of the, some people come in it with this like need to talk about their work on social media all the time. And I would always caution folks like this is someone's writing their it's a sensitive time for them. They're trying their best. Like, totally. let's be very careful when we talk about their work on social media. Even if you're the production editor, by the time the work gets to you, it's pretty much done. It's still a matter of, 
think about what, what that means. So usually it's only like, I like to press people to say, you know, congratulation notes out. Not like, oh, I'm drudging through 400 pages of JavaScript. Like, oh, barely. <laughs> you know, it's like we always time. Yeah. Yeah. We always want to support our authors. Uh-huh. I, have a, I have a friend who is a technical editor for people's dissertations, and she always has the most amazing stories about the folks that she's working with because they're in kind of off the beaten track type of disciplines. And I'm always like, you should have a Tumblr where you talk about these things because she's hilarious. Uh, but she is more well thought through this than I have. <laughs> she has more thought this through more well than I have and uh, has decided that's not a good idea. Even if she takes out people's names and stuff, I'm like, oh, great stories, but... Shaming people's babies online publicly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, can, the, it, it's be. generally less about the, you know, there's like this person wrote a dissertation about finding an owl by the side of the road and getting a taxidermied and having some kind of spirit journey. And it's like some of this, this, this friend of mine is just so hilarious that I want to see these things online, but no, probably not for the best. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I am with you here, despite the, the desire to hear tragedy. <laughs> online in that way. Right. I mean, I'm sure people would love to see the proposals that come through and like the stuff we say no to, which is like pretty much 95% of everything that comes through. But you're right. That wouldn't be appropriate nor, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. Not even as a side blog. In another life though, it would be very entertaining. In another life, in another world where people can't draw the, the lines. I will tell you some of the most interesting yeah. things are when people confuse us with either O'Reilly auto parts and they're looking for a job <gasps> or... Bill O'Reilly, who used to be, you know, much more au courant than he is now. Mm -hmm. But um, thank goodness. Yeah, we, <laughs> we hung up. <laughs> Oops, with should I have said that out loud? <laughs> I think I should have. Yes. Well, we hung up this amazing like screed someone faxed to us once like, dear Bill O'Reilly. And we're like, oh, wow. This Can is imagine great. what his hate mail is or his fan mail is like. So. Can you forward it to him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So. You're not currently uh, managing a team, but you're looking to build one. How else does leadership kind of show itself at, at your organization? How, how are you leading there or what sort of leadership issues are you dealing with or thinking about right now? Yeah, so um, O'Reilly, because we have had the luxury and pain of being around for 40 years as this um, you know, technology evolution and revolution happens, you know, we as a company have changed dramatically. So every year is something completely different. So I, I call us the 40-year-old startup. So mm -hmm. technically, we don't refer to ourselves as a book publishing company anymore. We call ourselves an online learning platform. And that was in a large part due to buying Safari Books Online, which was a, a venture between O'Reilly and Pearson to create an online space for more than 250 different publishers to come and put their their content online. So when this was created, don't forget 10, 15 years ago, Amazon was starting to become the juggernaut that it is now. And so some foresight by Tim uh, O'Reilly, he really thought and realized that we need to have a place that is publisher's own domain. And this is what Safari was. So we bought Safari now three years ago. And what we're really looking at is how to help people do their jobs better. So again, not only do you have access to all of O'Reilly's books, but then also we're doing videos and online training and just different ways that people learn now mm -hmm. in a very much like a self-service way. Because I don't know, I think mostly engineers are probably too busy to take time off and go to formal learning. And also a lot of time they just need some answer just in time, right? So it's been that kind of evolution. So that has led to a massive change internally 
I mean, massive, right? So we went from selling unit sales, which means one book per person or one conference pass per person mm -hmm. to a SaaS solution. And now it's a monthly subscription. Either you buy it as an individual or you get it from your employer. So understanding that shift has been really hard. And uh, people love O'Reilly because they love our books and that's what they think of first. So now you have to deal with a number of things. You have to change the way that people think internally. You have to then change the way the market understands what you are and then also your customers and like also not let go of all that fantastic, as Kendall said, horrifying animals on the cover, but you know, still have that amazing brand to play off of. So uh, you know, par part of the way I look at leadership and understanding is what leaders need from you. And I understood what the president of the country was, company was doing and where she was going with this effort. And I've understood her position all along. So then internally, I was able to be like one of the people who would be able to spread her message and translate it to what that means to your everyday life. Like this is changing, but this is how it's going to be better in other ways, or this is what could happen. And because things do change so quickly, it can't just be a message coming from top down, right? You also need that sideways influencer, influence and influencers to help people understand what is happening with their job as the company changes. And so I think that's my superpower and I'm pretty good at helping people translate and understand that this massive change is coming, but it's not all bad, right? And are you communicating that across organizations, specifically to other leaders? I mean, I imagine we don't talk to a lot of people who've been at the same company for 14 years. It's 14 years, yeah. right? Um, and so, I mean, I imagine you have significant authority, you have significant influence across the organization just because of your tenure. Uh, I mean, is, is that, or is this, is it more common in O'Reilly than say the average tech company? Yeah, yeah. how senior to, are to you there in terms of longevity? Has, are you one of the most uh, senior people there in terms of tenure or? It's a funny place. So we just had two folks retire after 25 years and they were uh, okay. here since the, yeah, almost beginning. So it's like a long, long time. Um, and, it, you know, it's, we have a dwindling number of people who have been here probably more than 10 years. And then we have this amazing mass of new people who have been here less than 10 weeks. So, uh, the, you know, we, we're, we went from a company of 200 people to now three, almost 400 people through the merger and then, you know, sussing out what the new company basically needs. So I would say my leadership is not a formal thing. It is definitely more of an informal, I like people, I understand how they work. I can do this kind of skill that is not formally bestowed upon me. So you're the voice of reason. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you know what makes the company tick. So you know which strings to pull, you know where to find the information, you know how to disseminate the information and people probably look to you to, to understand what's going on. Yeah, having that context is really important and something as simple as, okay, well, but also being able to say, back in the day, we used to do it like this for this reason. However, business needs have changed. Mm -hmm. An easy example might be, um, for example, books used to be printed on paper, <laughs> shipped on pallets and put into a warehouse. Well, Amazon with their just-in-time shipping changed all that. So we have printing on demand. So our books from Amazon are printed as needed and sent to client, you know, customers directly because Amazon doesn't have warehouses. Therefore, we don't have warehouses. So having people understand why at some time, at some other point, we had to do something a certain way, but now we've changed the way we do it. 
because business needs dictate it is also an important kind of way of translating and telling the story. Oh yeah, and that makes that particular situation, um, maybe that also leads to additional flexibility because you're able to edit uh, later if you if you find issues with the, you know, your final, your final um, document, you can actually update it at the, uh, later on and get more correct publication. Is that a, it, that seems like a thing that would be a benefit of this process. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So getting in the soup and nuts of actually publishing, we've always had the best um, early in, in the way of printing, Tim negotiated printing contracts with the printers and said, we need books out in three weeks. And they're like, that's impossible. So when mm-hmm. you go to a printer, you would traditionally have pieces of books from various different books and various different publishers, all stacked in pallets. And then when the printer got a chance, they would put them all together in these singular books and, stuff, and ship them out. But Tim's like, there's no way. We need you know, information out just in time, as quick as possible. So you would send a file to the printer and three weeks later you have the book. It broke the industry. Like that's not how publishing was ever done. So then even now, as we've been forced to really respond to technology, we have um, a Git Get like repo where authors write in and we are able to update files like oh, with pull requests. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. And and with these kinds of changes, um, have you had situations where you've kind of counseled and comforted people who are anxious about these changes? Has that been a thing that you've been able to to add as a leader to your to your uh, organization? Yeah, because you're not even just talking about people internally now, you're also talking about authors. So one of the, uh, and and public speakers as well at all of our conferences. So O'Reilly also runs more than a dozen conferences across the country and around the world on various topics. So, um, you know, having that ability to quickly look at a topic, say we need to have the following on it, right? Not just the suite of books that people need to do their jobs, but maybe also a conference to um, bring the community together and actually give people information in a different way and also inspire them to keep working you know, on this topic and hear from leaders in their field. So p- part of the job is, yes, synthesizing information and giving the context out, but then also a greater job, you know, is always the curation of content, understanding the community and what's needed, and then just finding a solution that helps everybody. Yeah, I didn't really think about the the authors and public speakers and experts in the industry also being kind of not they don't you know they don't work for you per se, but it's you're, you're leading them as well and and making sure that their needs are met and that they feel comfortable with what your what they're delivering via your organization. That's a like an entirely different kind of leadership. It is kind I mean, of complex. I mean, a tech book is written between six and nine months, so you have very little time, and authors are more or less doing this as their second job. So right. weekends, they are away from their family and little league practice and everything else. So when you approach someone to do this amazing contribution to their community, this is what you're asking them to do. Um, really step up and help the community. It, I'm sure O'Reilly has a business arrangement, but that's not the primary focus. The focus is helping other people get their job done. Well, so, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a number of things about this that are kind of book publishing historically, and now you're pivoting more into a SaaS model that seem like they're, they're really unique to your specific situation. And I'm, I'm curious, just like leadership wise, when you look at this, like what are the things that are really specific to your current situation? Yeah. So it's actually pretty cool. We just had a bunch of meetings last week here in Boston. And um, so I, I don't know, you're at a job a long time. You do, I don't know, you always think you're like, oh yeah, I know things, but I guess you don't know how much you know until 
someone mm-hmm. comes to you and they're like, oh my gosh, how much do you know? I'm like, I don't know. Mind blown. <laughs> Mind blown. I'm like, I guess I'm an expert. And um, so I'm working very closely with the sales team and, you know, folks who have ever worked with sales teams before, uh, they experience and approach what we do no matter what the company does in a very different way, right? They have to, they are a different personality, they're different motivations and functions and everything. So goals, goals everything. everything. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, as an extroverted feeling person, <laughs> think about that a lot. And then I, and I would try to figure out how I communicate what needs to happen on both sides. So basically what I do is help the customer build content solutions that they need to get their customers, you know, work done, right? So when we have a customer in the learning platform, they may be an HR person. So they know nothing about technology and that's okay because what they're trying to do is then enable other technologists to have as much information as they can. So when you're talking about something like a bank or government or insurance company, they may not have access to the open internet, right? In their daily work. So they need answers to simple questions or more complex problems and they come to you know O'Reilly or Safari online to get those answers because they can't go to Stack Overflow or the open web. So when you look at O'Reilly more as a solution to your your problems like that, I have to, you know, I then try to translate what that means to the sales folks, right? So what we're offering is this amazing solution to help these people do their job and their jobs are really important. So when you are thinking about moving to the cloud, that is a what multi-million dollar investment for some company to make. So when we're enabling cloud, you know, engineers to move their jobs from um, machines to the cloud, we take a very serious, uh, you know, um, respect and and approach in helping them do their jobs better. You're the authoritative voice on something that could cost a company millions of dollars and you don't want to mess yeah. it up. So there's almost this. <laughs> no pressure. That's actually really interesting. Yeah, no, no pressure. But you know, that's how I look at it, right? Because I, I feel very yeah. responsible to my, my customers like that. And, you know, sure. that my customers are also the sales folks who want to, you know, sell the thing and make their commission and do their job well, right? So, you know, it's, it's having that kind of... Um, also responsibility and authority to, to be able to put out that all together in a compelling story for everyone to get on board with. The lens that I've talked with you in the past through is, you know, when I was a kid and learning Auk and said, and it was that book and I was sitting down and, you know, what's at stake here, right? I'm, I'm going to get an operator wrong <laughs> or I'm going to have to look up something and, you know, my uh, guess a number between one and a thousand game is going to take longer than I thought it was going to, to write. And, and so it's kind of interesting to frame it this way. You're right. Like there's significant implications in uh, not just having your information right, but what you present and how you present it. And it can have a significant impact on companies. And that's really interesting. It's kind of helping me reframe the, the, the role y'all can play at a macro scale in a way that I haven't thought about it before. Yeah. And our conferences are like a lot like that too. So I've been a chair more than a half a dozen conferences, um, including Tim's the newest venture, which is next economy, which is really thinking about where do people go from here, right? What does the next economy look like with AI and how do we work with robots <laughs> and, you know, keep people employed and in the loop. Universal income. Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, conferences are much like that, right? So O'Reilly takes this position of like, we're not just selling you a conference seat. Like we think that this topic's important. We want you to believe in our parade and join it. 
And so that's how Tim has always framed the conferences. It's a gathering of people. We're starting a parade. We want you to come with us. And when you think of a conference or a movement like that, and you put it in the historical context of open source, uh, Web 2.0, you know, the open government work that I worked on with him in 2008, uh, yeah, that's a parade. And it's really cool to kind of be part of something like that, that does have that longevity and is part of the story that's helped put the tech world kind of where it is. You know, someone on Twitter is like, oh, I didn't realize that uh, NASA had a GitHub repository. I'm like, not only does NASA have a GitHub repository, look at all these other government agencies that do. Yeah, that's a wild change, uh, seriously, from, from the past to now, like taking PRs from people on the internet for NASA. It seems really amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just so so cool. Well, I heard you mention back there that you are uh, yeah. you you present as an extrovert. <laughs> uh, is that how you um, how you see yourself, and and how does that affect your work? Uh, do you think it would be super different if you were more introverted? Well, yeah, um, yes. So a common scenario back in the day. So quickly, other context. Uh, my roles at O'Reilly have moved from working on the books, which is a very singular function and very isolated, mm -hmm. to acquiring books, to uh, conference organizer and chair, to talent director. So when you acquire books, you basically have to go into a situation where you may be, and most likely I ever was, the only woman in the room, or maybe two or three other ladies in the room with you. And part of my job is to talk to every single person in the room and approach them in a way that is not, you know, obviously off-putting. It's like, hey, I'm Laurel. I'm here to listen to you and what you're doing that's interesting and cool. And then maybe we can work together now, or maybe there's something we can work on in the future, or maybe you're working with a different publisher and that's totally okay, or doing your own thing. So it's kind of more like just to get to know people. But I guess one of the lessons I've learned, because I am and can come on fairly strong, is that you have to dial it back, right? Not everyone is like, hey, how's it going? What's your name? You know, I tend to think of that old um, uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon where it's like the the big bulldog and the small yappy dog that runs around circles. It's like, hey, 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 how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? <laughs> so because also, like I said, my partner is a software engineer and he too is an introvert. Uh, <laughs> it's helpful for me to remember that even in my personal life, if you come on too strong or too excited or something, you're not going to get kind of the response and kind of the outcome that you desire. So you always have to approach people in a really kind of like calm way. How's it going? What are you up to today? Ask very neutral questions. Like I am, you know, maybe we'll get a chance to work together, but if we don't and we just meet each other, that's totally fine. So anyway, so that, you know, putting myself in a room of a hundred people and I'm one of 10 women and then making my way through the crowd and meeting every single person if I can, then that's kind of what I mean by an extrovert. That is most people's worst nightmare. And then also <laughs> being on stage and delivering a message or, you know, gathering a bunch of people and taking charge of the room. Terrifying. Yeah. That's all stuff I can do with ease. So I guess that makes me an extrovert. Uh, yeah. So, so a lot, I, I want to back up for just a second, something you, you, you began that whole section with one of the only women in tech being one of the only women in tech and then being one of the only women in the room. Do you feel like you've had to dial everything back so as not to come across too strong in part just because you're a woman in tech? Like, would you, would you have been successful up in your face had you been a man in tech, do you think, in a way that you had to be more careful? Uh, no, I mean, I think it's part of it is, sorry, definitely one of the women, only women in the room. When you're in that position, people will remember you anyway, no matter what you do, which is great. 
right? So you want to make sure that you are being remembered as a person who's there to help and not always to sell mm -hmm. or need something from somebody. Gotcha. Uh, especially yeah. like when I said, when I am a, a tech adjacent person and not necessarily an engineer and I don't have that same kind of skill set, you, you know, people are like kind of, why are you here? And having the O'Reilly name behind me has always been helpful. But then I also realized it's not just the O'Reilly name. It's also your own personal brand and your reputation that helps you get through these any kind of scenario that's kind of set up before you. So even in, in the RAND Slack room, and you know, I just wanted to reiterate this because this is pretty important that people understand this. Across the board, in any group setting, there's usually about 10% women in a, in a tech function. So whether you're at a conference, this was certainly true early days, and even in Slack rooms like the RAND Slack, there's about 10% women for every, you know, group of participants. So you still are, are a minority and you're still kind of carefully watching and seeing the different dynamics play out and who's who and what's what. And it's always tricky because as an acquiring editor, you're working with people outside of their daily work hours. So having a drink with someone while you talk about a book proposal is totally legit. Having dinner, taking authors out to dinner, you know, figuring that out as these are functions that are often seen and certainly now as more difficult to do because these are also areas where it can get awful tricky. Like when you're like, hey, let's just grab a beer after the conference. That to me sounds totally legit, but someone else may not have that same yeah. Perception is everything. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a complicated thing to manage. Okay. Well, so next, I'm, something we ask everyone is talk about your relationship with authority today and how do you feel about having authority over others and how do you feel about others having authority over you? I don't know that word authority, right? I find authority, but authority always wins. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I have a mixed opinion about authority. I don't think it's like uh, super important. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Well, but you have significant influence, influence. in O'Reilly across O'Reilly. So yeah, use the word influence if that helps, but you are a person of influence in this organization and probably largely yeah. yeah, in, in the tech community, this, this huge number of people that have, you have brought into the fold to write books. You're a well-known entity. So, you know, that in, in that sense, you have significant influence. I, I would equate that with authority. Yeah, how, yeah. how do you feel about it? <laughs> No, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to have that. I mean, look, I love, uh, you're right. Influence is a much better term for it because part of that is just knowing people and trying to help people and make connections. That's how I want to use my authority and influence is just to help as many people as possible. So when I hear someone talking on Twitter, I try to put them in touch with someone else and try to just make myself useful in that way because I think everybody needs that person who is kind of looking at these larger conversations and trying to help move them in a really good direction and, and bring the right people to the conversation. So yeah, when we're in a room and it, something's kind of spiraling out of control and you're like, wait a minute, we're not, we don't have the right people in the room. I think that's the kind of thing that you need to be able to say. And I also like it when it's not just someone who is the, you know, the hippo, right? The highest paid person in the room. If anyone can say that, I think that's really important. And at O'Reilly, we try to do that. It's one of our operating principles, like stop, assess, right? Like if you are not coming to a resolution, you need to escalate it. So let's, you know, really think about how that's put into use. But, you know, having that sort of uh, influence is one of those things that you earn and you work on every single day. 
Mm -hmm. And and you were just talking about um, this is a this having a principle of of um, anyone being able to to come into the discussion at O'Reilly. Is that something that is part of like a, a, a training or is that something that is part of the corporate values? How how is that presented to to the folks who work there? Yeah, it's definitely part of the uh, corporate values. So we have, um, you know, a bunch of them. Let's see, they're they're on the wall of my conference room right now. So, <laughs> you know, is it best for the customer? Look from the outside in. Tell meaningful stories. Um, here's a good one. You know, err on the side of generosity and represent. <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to say this word. Anyway, uh, if you have a better idea or see something that's not working out, say so. Right, okay. whether it's your job or not. So I think that's you have to have that kind of confidence when you're in a room with maybe some other people who have, you know, bigger job titles or whatever from you, and be able to speak up. And I think that's always something we try to um, work on here. And that's definitely something that makes it a different type of company than most. And that's something you can model as a leader as well to to be like, yes, it's this isn't just the bullshit that we have on the walls. This is this is actually how we do it here. Cause I have seen situations where it's like, yeah, these are our corporate values, but haha, that's not actually how it works. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, and I think that's when companies don't have corporate values and um, well, I don't know. I, I like corporate values or operating principles are super important when they're actually public. So for example, when that um, incident happened on the airline, when the passenger was dragged off. Oh yeah. I was kind of like, I, the first thing I did was literally search for the operating principles of that airline. And there were none publicly except, you know, silly stuff. Like we get there on time. No one cares about that. It's how you operate as a person, as a company that you are responsible for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that's actually something that also makes O'Reilly really different is this kind of ethical responsibility to our customers and to the community, you know, someone who's not familiar with O'Reilly, you could say that we are, you know, political and or just really, um, we're definitely a very different company. So I think that kind of responsibility and that personal responsibility is echoed in everything that we do. And when we do screw up, we say we screwed up because we are a company that's made of a bunch of humans, right? Yeah. Imperfect humans. Things happen. Well, so before we move on from that question, you, you helped sort of relate your relationship to authority, but, but how do you feel about it? Like, yeah. is, it, is it that, that influence, is it intimidating to you? Are you, is it kind of nice to have after 14 years of earning it and you kind of have a place in the organization or, you know, how do you, how do you think about it? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. I guess it's nice to have, but I feel challenged in a good way about it every day because you're constantly meeting new people that don't necessarily always understand nor care that you have been there for 14 years. So it's, it's kind of good because it makes you humble. You're always reframing and kind of retelling your story and how you've come to the organization and what your role is here, right? So even internally, when people are like, what are you doing exactly? It's like, okay. Start from the beginning, yeah. Start from the beginning, it's totally fine. And um, probably more, I'm sure people would love it if I was a little bit more authoritative and exerted more control, but I try to really keep it on an even keel because I feel it's necessary to, in that certain situation, to kind of pull rank. That is not an everyday thing for me. Mm-hmm. Like I want to hold back that kind of ability to do so until it's necessary. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what I wanted to move on to uh, from there is, 
what what are your hobbies outside of work? I'm sure you're very yeah. busy and your in your new role is probably ramping up right now, but what do you do when you have time to do it? Well, my other hobbies are uh, I am actually super interested in beer. Oh yeah. And everyone says that, but I am part of a group here in Boston called the Boston Area Beer Enthusiast Society. Our acronym is BABES. And we are a group of 2,500 women who love beer. Hell yeah. So come to Boston. Let's get together and drink and talk about beer. And the way I, you know, that organization is like a, a meetup group. I'm like, hey, this is great. I need a hobby. Let me go talk to people about beer, not just drink beer all by myself. Um, but there's lots of, <laughs> there's lots of beer. Uh, people enter beer, beer world in a lot of different ways. You can trade it. You can collect it. You can obviously drink it. You can be a, a, anyway, an expert or you can be more of a, like a, oh, I just like to have it when I like to have it type person. And that's the kind of people we, we encourage everyone to come into the, the group, no matter what your background is. Like you don't have to be this really special person with a $1,500 seller. You just have to like beer. So and you can, you can collect If you drink beer? Coors Light. <laughs> you collect Coors Light. Go <laughs> You if you drink Coors Light every day, are you also welcome in this group? Uh, uh, yes, because even Lawnmower Beer, aka Coors Light, is good. Um, yeah. As a shandy, maybe. <laughs> you said that without without like obvious oppression or prob. You know. No, I I, I accept all all, all drinkers. Um, yes, <laughs> let me back up. You can collect beer. You cannot collect Coors Light. So beer, you can sell her, much like wine but it has to be over 9% alcohol and it helps to have these specific types of wine. So uh, beer, so like uh, your bourbon stouts, uh, barley wine, sours. So uh, sours. let me think the oldest beer I've ever drunk was a 20 year old Belgian yeah, sour from Belgium. So, um, and in my cellar, I think it was a 10 year old. And anyway, so yeast stays active in the bottle and continues to evolve the flavor and taste of the beer and the profile way more information than you ever want to know about. But in this group of women, I will host events. And one of the events that I did was um, the economics of beer. So I got really into why breweries are popping up now across the country, what the business models are, and um, what it takes to be a successful brewery. So for example, here in Boston, we have one of the most sought after beers that people will trade for. And some of these beers that are so rare are called whales. And so some people are whale hunters and they will only go after these very specific, highly sought after beers that you have to wait two hours in line for. And then you ship across country. Pliny the Elder. Pliny yeah. the Elder. Uh, Treehouse. Anyway, so Trillium in town is, is very popular. And their business model is they decided not to distribute beer. And so when you decide not to distribute beer, you keep all the profits in house. When you're a beer distributor, you take 40% of every dollar made and you keep it. So, and then you get to price the beer on your shelves at whatever price you want. So the brewer has to give up a lot of control and they give up a lot of money. And anyway, so this is what fascinated me because here you are building and making this product that you want people to love and then you give it to someone else to sell. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I just found that part of the business super interesting. And you know, obviously I could go on at length about this, but the other hobbies I have are <laughs> Scandinavian noir. So I love reading murder mystery books oh. and specifically 
the Nordic countries because people are murdered by not a gun. So they have like various other ways of interestingly dying, which is <laughs> different than American murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. And I would have never put that together. Yeah, that's really interesting. Anyways. Yeah. So that's he, like, that's the reason you like the genre is it's not just guns. Right, that's right. You have to be really interestingly way of dying of exposure in Norway or something. Oh my God, how grim. And then everyone <laughs> drinks beer, yay. Well, yeah, so yeah. And then the other interesting themes that kind of go across these, this genre is that um, there's a serious problem with people coming into the country. So you have issues with immigration and then you also have issues with drugs. So it's anyway, it's just kind of this meta, not that all of these books have the same things in common, but they have a lot of things in common. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read a lot outside of work. And I guess it's not surprising if I work in a publishing company. And then I'm also very involved with another women in tech group here in Boston called She Geeks Out, where I'm an ambassador. And, um, you know, we're trying to bring women who are geeks like whatever your geekiness is together and talking about various issues and work with local companies to have meetups and also, um, you know, speed networking events and that kind of thing. Cause it's, it's really important. And we have actually managed to kind of stick it out as one of the longest running women in tech organizations here in Boston, which has been fantastic. Cause kind of people come and go, it's a lot of flash in the pan type stuff, but this is a group that really cares about women and where they're going and what their careers are. So there's a lot of also emphasis on diversity and inclusion as well. Well, and it, it sounds like, so uh, this particular interest and, in, and uh, being part of being an ambassador for She Geeks Out is kind of related to this question that we, that I'm going to ask, which is how has becoming a leader affected your personal life positively or negatively? Like it sounds like your, your position and, authority for, for, for want of a better word, authority here in, in Boston and in the, in the general tech industry because of your connections. Um, that has given you the, uh, the ability to lead these groups or be uh, part of these groups and, and spread the good word. Is that how you see it? Or is it, have these things come up in parallel? How, how does that come, to, come together? Yeah, no, that's, that's kind of how I see it. It's kind of a, a blessing and a curse, mm-hmm. right? So you work into a room and you're like, can I not be a leader of this group and can I just enjoy uh-huh. it for a second? <laughs> can I not be in charge, please? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so as you know, if you're that type of person, you do have to really take a step back and say, it's not my turn to lead. This is someone else's turn to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really think about the things that you would do because every group is so different. And every time you work into a room, it is a different room. Just be more conscious of that and learn from other people. So you know, whenever someone else is leading the group and team, I love looking at their style and trying to adopt those, you know, specific successful things that I think really work. And part of that is remembering that it's always good to have an agenda first and then recap it in the end, because sometimes people just are not paying attention to one part or the other. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then uh, if money were no object, what would you do with your life? Would you do something? Well, I actually have different? a plan. Oh yeah, a plan. Let's hear it. <laughs> I have a plan. <laughs> so this is more. This is more like if I won the lottery, mm-hmm. uh, because first of all, money um, money is always hard. And when you are that, you know, I just got out of my college debt like not that long ago. Horrifying. Congratulations. Enough. And, yeah, it's a big deal. And I just got out of my credit card debt not that long ago. Awesome. And you know, when I think about being a grown up you know, having that kind of financial independence, I appreciate and realize and understand way more now 
because I am an older person than I did 20 years ago. And uh, anyway, so I'm psyched to finally be in that position to just appreciate what I didn't have and what I now have. But if I won the lottery, so I had as much money as I didn't have to worry about, I have two plans. One is to travel the world extensively. But the second plan is to create a database of those murder mysteries Ooh. and the towns and understand better how the detectives and murderers move from town to town when you're in a country. Oh, <laughs> data analytics. Like, wow. Data analytics for murder mysteries. With your desire to travel, right? You could just like spend a lot of time in Nordic countries visiting these places and yeah, is that when you say travel the world extensively, you have a couple places in mind. Are they Nordic countries to start? Yeah, Nordic countries, Southeast Asia. I mean, really just throw a dart and I'll go. So I've always liked to think I would be that kind of person that could just travel anywhere. Oh. Um, and I think that is the joy of like Sesame Street <laughs> growing <laughs> up in a very rural, small town and not having been exposed to a lot of things. It's like, I want to be exposed to everything. So I guess that's, you know, part of my wanderlust tempered with like the reality of you own a home and you have a life and you have to kind of balance everything. You can't just pick up everything and run away. Yeah. What would your cats do or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, there's your benefit. I, I, we have no pets. Yeah. We have no children. Same. We are unencumbered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, we need to wrap up for time's sake, but oh, yeah. um, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me uh, across the platforms at Laurel at O'Reilly. So I am definitely tied to my company as one is yeah. when the internet's platform started after you started your longevity of the company. So Laurel at O'Reilly. And the at is the letters AT, not the at sign. That's is that correct? correct? Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, here's yeah. next time.